welcome to Face the Culture. Kim Kennedy here. Welcome you to the program. So glad that you're with us for our last program of 2022. Hmm. Alongside me always is Pastor Steve Gruen. Pastor Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kim. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, always a pleasure to work with you this year. Had a great year. Amen. And um, we asked the founder of RedStateTalkRadio.com to join us. That would be Scott Adams. Uh, you can hear him every weekday morning. We've known Scott for some time now. We appreciate his keen insight, hmm. um, his ability to zone, on, zone in on issues and uh, remove all the fluff and get to the point. And he does an excellent job of that. Uh, we really have come to appreciate him with each passing year. Hey, Scott, good day and welcome. Thank you for having me and Happy New Year. Yes, indeed. We asked Scott specifically to come on board uh, today because uh, we wanted to, to take a look back at 22 and um, take it into 23. Well, because of this happening in 22, this is what we're projecting into 23. And before we came on air, we were talking a little bit about uh, trying to find some positives in 2022, but Scott was uh, scratching his head like, yeah, I don't think so. But um, he did bring up some really good points. And Scott, uh, let's bring, uh, let's take a look at the highlights, lowlights of 2022. Where do you want to start with? Let's start with the highlights. <laughs> the <laughs> highlights. Well, we took back the house and that's a good thing. That's a blessing. Um, I like the fact that uh, we're able to expose we're able to expose um, the uh, tyranny of globalism. And I think that we're also, you know, this, we're seeing the ugliness of a lot of the tyranny that's going on that used to be camouflaged by, you know, your standard bearers or your, your powerful voices. And people are starting to really become exposed for their, not only their biases, but also um, we're just starting to learn more. I mean, I think that a blessing is that Twitter is now being run by Elon Musk, and we have a we have a platform to speak. Um, I like the fact that Florida and Louisiana and some other states have divested from globalist organizations like BlackRock and and Larry Fink, uh, individuals like that. We're learning more and more about COVID. Uh, we're learning more and more more about the efficacies of vaccines. We're learning that. The conspiracy uh, theorists were more correct. We're learning more about our intelligence apparatus and how corrupt it is, with whether it's the FBI or the two standards of justice with Merrick Garland or even our CIA. We're learning even more about the JFK assassination because new documents have been released there. So a lot of things are starting to happen where we're starting to learn a lot more about our government. And I think that's really important that we realize that, you know, I was just listening to an interview uh, that Oliver North gave. And, you know, we used to think that he was a great voice, but he has become, you know, incredibly out of touch with regard to the Ukraine conflict and the money laundering that's going on there and throwing, get, turning a blind eye and giving a pass to the military industrial complex. All of these things that we're talking about all the time now. They've become commonplace, not, not even necessarily on Fox News, not, not certainly on MSNBC or CNN, but on talk shows like yours uh, that face the culture, you know, that we get to talk about these things. So I think that's, 
where my gratitude lies. And gratitude is really the foundation and the fabric of who, who we are as people and Christians and uh, conservatives and Americans. Hmm. Very well said. Scott, do you think that the message is getting out to the general public as you're looking out at the at the scene that's going on out in America? Do you think these things, they're being more talked about? Are they being absorbed? Is it is it having an impact on the general population? Yeah, I think that, you know, in a post-Trump world right now, you have you have a lot of um, rhinos like Liz Cheney is a great example. Adam Kinzinger is another example. And we don't have enough of those examples, particularly in the Senate, where um, you have Mitch McConnell pulling funding from someone like Blake Masters and giving it to Lisa Murkowski, who's going against Kelly Chapada, uh, who's another MAGA supporter uh, and a uh, and a Republican money ill spent. And when Mitch McConnell did that, people started to look into the relationships that his wife's shipping company, Foremost Group, has with black market shipping around the globe. And so we're starting to realize what corruption is going on in the Senate. You know, the uh, money laundering schemes, FTX uh, processing the crypto donations that are going to Ukraine, turning them into fundraisers for Democrat uh, candidates. I think BlackRock is really going to be the next FTX because BlackRock and and Ukraine just dis, uh, decided to partner like FTX in Ukraine did. And they're going to be at Davos coming up soon. And they're going to be pushing the new world order, the globalist agenda. Uh, but things are really changing in the world. You know, we have this thing called BRICS. And BRICS is the unnecessary uh, and unwelcomed uh, thing that I think the Biden administration has really created, which BRICS is uh, basically a group, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, in addition to maybe 20 additional company countries. And they're going to start their own currency. So that's an unintended consequence of this conflict in Ukraine. The other one, though, is the empowerment of globalism. It's the core of that. And it's also a uh, money laundering center over there. And so we're becoming more and more aware of these things. But a lot of the money that was going into the midterm elections, into the Republicans' coffers and into the Democrats, mostly Democrats, but some Republicans, where the Democrats went to Democrat extremist candidates throughout the country in their NGOs and lobbyist groups and slush funds, um, what you had was you had powerful conservatives like Mitch McConnell that had these super PACs that were being funded by FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. And then they were picking the wrong candidates. They were picking candidates that would oppose the Trump candidates. But frankly, it's Trump's party still. And I think that's one thing that we fully understand now is that no matter if you like Trump or you don't like Trump, he's a polarizing figure. We get that. But America First policies and Make America Great agenda is a solid agenda. I think if you ask Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger or even Mitt Romney uh, about the principles of these types of policies, America First policies, they would in lockstep agree with those policies. 
And just because you don't like a man doesn't mean you shouldn't support a man if he supports the issues that can make America great again. Yeah, that's a critical point that so many people are affected by the personality of Donald Trump rather than the policies, like you were saying. I was stunned back when he was chosen as the as the candidate when I found out what he believed in. I, I still remember that. I'm like, oh, my goodness, at least 80, 85 percent of what he he's promoting, I'm for. And I was able to enthusiastically support him when I realized where he was coming from. His actions, uh, well, do you think that, where, how do you see Trump right now, Scott, in the, in the equation? You see him at the center, he's at the head of the party, the beliefs that he has promoted are strong. Is he the man to continue to carry that mantle? I'll tell you what, I look at how they attack him from some in his own party and also of course, the left constantly. And every time I see that, I say that means they're scared of him or they know that he's effective and we have to support him because they're trying everything to take him down. Where do you see things standing right now with Trump as the leader and with the attacks that are upon him? Well, I agree with Megyn Kelly in that she said DeSantis wouldn't have a chance against Donald Trump, not even a little bit. And I think that, you know, DeSantis... uh, has some interesting relationships that would probably do him in. It would be a bad move for him. Mm -hmm. I'm a big DeSantis fan, but I don't think the timing is right for him. I think if he went against the third rail of the conservative party, which is Donald Trump, I mean, he's electrifying in in, in good ways and bad. um, You know, I think that he would lose. Now you get to the other flip side and you say, well, MAGA candidates can't perform well. Well, no, that's not really the case. MAGA candidates do perform well, but they also need the support of the establishment Republican Party. They needed support from Mitch McConnell. It didn't come. They needed support from Liz Cheney. They needed support from uh, Kevin McCarthy. And these things didn't happen. So, you know, if the Republicans and I, I really think that it's really called the McRhinos. It's McConnell. It's McDaniels. And it's McCarthy. Mm-hmm. All of that leadership needs to go. And we need new leadership. I like Harmy Dillon, for example, as the new RNC chair. I think that would be a great choice. I think Jim Jordan's actually too good to be Speaker of the House. I think we need him you know, as a whip or something like that. I mm-hmm. think a Scalise would be a great or, or Biggs would be a great Speaker of the House. Um, and then in the Senate, I, I, uh, <laughs> I could barely even tell you who who I would want as a Senate minority leader at this point, because the Senate is riddled with rhinos, but the rhinos need to go. So we we concur with you, Scott. Not Um, MAGA. What's that? I'm sorry. McRhinos should go, not MAGA. Hmm. Yeah, no, we were in a wholehearted agreement. One thing we had uh, talked about briefly and which should be right up there is uh, issues to address is election integrity or the lack thereof. How do you think the election uh, integrity issue uh, held up in 22? I Speaking um, just from what I've seen here in my home state of PA, um, the Pennsylvania GOP has expressed little interest in fighting for election integrity. Thank God for these uh, grassroots movements who have taken up the mantle. What's your perspective on that? 
Yeah, I know the Philly GOP too well, and the leadership there is too weak. And, you know, they just have to go along to get along with their Democratic friends if they're going to make a living in politics in Philadelphia. So it's very corrupt. Um, in general, you know, what we are realizing, and I think Charlie Kirk really was a good leader on this, um, and, uh, you know, what, what he was basically saying was, that uh, we need to hunt for, we need to either beat them at their own game or change the rules. And frankly, I don't know that we can change the rules quickly enough in, in a year and a half, two years. Uh, it started with COVID, you know, the uh, scamdemic. And they exploited the heck out of early voting, mail-in balloting. But the biggest thing was, and I remember this uh, back in the uh, 2012, in the lead up to 2020 and it started before 2016 i started seeing on facebook and twitter i started seeing all of this stuff about registrations online registrations and i'm like where's the id process and i went through that process i went and just checked it out i was doing some investigation and i couldn't believe like how complicated it was and it was just sort of weird so i think what's happening is I think that they're getting a lot of people to migrate illegally into our country. They're slapping them with an ID. And like in Chicago, they'll give them a city key, which means they could register to vote with that ID. And they're also saying you can get on a plane with an affidavit for a court uh, hearing that they're never going to show up for. So some way they get some sort of identification that allows them to register to vote. As soon as they register to vote, the ballot then becomes something that just gets sent out to them or at least created in the system. So what's happening is the Democrats are they're not campaigning. And like in the case of Katie Hobbs, they're not debating. Right. Um, they don't want to debate. They don't want to can they don't want to campaign. You could elect a guy like Fetterman, you know, someone that can't even speak in complete sentences or Joe Biden. And and that's okay with the Democrats for some reason. I don't think that the enthusiasm there is there for the Democrats. I think that they have to cheat to win. And I think that what's happening is they're processing ballots. They're farming them in. They're basically saying you have 30 days. The ballots go out in the mail, whether you ask for it or not. The ballot then gets picked up by a harvester. They get picked up and the, uh, a Pennsylvania election person said, you can go to nursing homes and you can pick up a thousand ballots. One person can do that. There's no limit. And they built, they kind of in quotes, nursing home sounds, Oh, they're helpful. But really that nursing home doesn't become a nursing home in the streets. It becomes some sort of a ballot gathering um, tool where people are getting paid to pick up all these ballots that are being mailed out to everywhere. And they're being picked up and dumped in these boxes anonymously and then they're being counted as needed. And so what's happening is it's a ballot manufacturing system that's being then. And then even that you have the lack of chain of custody with that. You have the lack of chain of custody when in a, like, say, in Arizona, there was all these 
ballots that were printed on 20 inch paper, but there were 19 inch images and they didn't scan well. And they went to a dark room and there was lack of chain of custody. There was no matching, just like in Pennsylvania in 2020, you didn't, the outside envelope that required your signature was tossed in the trash and there was no chain of custody between the signature and the, uh, and then they got these e-signatures that there's, you know, basically no signature verification going on there. So there's a lot of problems. What we need to get back to is we need, we need to get back to day in-person uh, day of voting. And if you want to make it a holiday, if you want to say you could vote on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, that's fine. But somebody, you have to go in person. And I think at some point you have to dip your thumb in ink or something mm-hmm. because I understand why we keep losing. Like in North Carolina, we kept we lost the Supreme Court decision a month ago in North Carolina. The Supreme Court of North Carolina said voter ID is unconstitutional. And I can almost I disagree with that. I think that voter ID is essential. You need it to get Sudafed. But I understand that argument. But I also understand the argument that when the Constitution was created, it said every citizen has a right to vote. And voter IDs or licenses or things like that, cards, identification wasn't really part of that text. And so the reason why we keep losing the voter ID law at the Supreme Court level is because it's not it's arguably not constitutional. So then what's the workaround to that? Well, we need video surveillance in our our, um, election uh, districts, our, our, our precincts. And we also need to deter in every way we can people voting in multiple locations. We need more minority inspectors, but we need in-person voting. We need that essentially in-person voting. If you're not going to have voter ID, you, you, you certainly shouldn't have mail-in balloting that you can count three days later. The counting has to stop the day of. That means that all the votes, if you're going to vote early, That's fine. But those votes ought to be counted just as quickly as they come in. I, you know, Scott, the system wasn't broken before you you just, you know, okay, so you have the so called pandemic, which many question, including myself, uh, based on the evidence that keeps coming out. But we had absentee ballots in place to sell people. You're going to vote with absentee ballot and uh, you're going to get it, you know, sent to your house and Voila, there you go. You didn't need this other elaborate system invented. And I also ask you, I, shouldn't that have been a referendum on a ballot anyway to make all these changes? Isn't that how we used to do these things? Yeah, it used to be. And, you know, in France, they know the results uh, right away. And and again, um, you know, it's this it's this early voting. It's the see here it is. It's the, it's that they're processing ballots. And if we play the game that Charlie Kirk was recommending, which if you can't beat them, join them. Right. But that's not a system I want. I want the politician to appeal to the hearts and minds of the American voter. And I want the American voters to vote as much as they can. But once each individual once. And then the other part part is you get all these illegals. Right. That are coming in and they're telling you they can vote. No, I don't think these illegals, I think these illegals should have to wait 18 years, just like I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I was born in this country and I had to wait 18 years to vote. I couldn't vote when I was 16. They should have to wait at least 
18 years before they have a right to vote. And what about, do they know what they're voting on? They don't even know the language. They don't know who Jefferson is. They don't know the issues. All they're going to do is vote for a free Happy Meal. And the Democrats are all, the Democrats are all too happy to sell it to them at the expense of the middle class. I always tell this story on my show. I say, you know, the globalist elites, they're almost all liberal. You go to Penn University, every, all the elites at the top there are all liberals. You get the bottom of the barrel in Philadelphia. The bottom of the barrel, they're all liberals looking for that welfare check or that subsidized housing. So you, that's 20% of the bottom, 20% of the top. How much is that? 40%. Okay, so in a happy, healthy society where everybody, the middle class is working, you should have 60%. But no, no. What happens is the upper middle falls into they want to they want to appeal to their elite bosses because they're close. So they turn into liberals. It's the bottom, uh, the lower middle. They're being crushed by inflation and poor policies and they fall to the lower and they're dependent now because they can't even buy their truck or pay for their oil to heat their house. And so then next thing you know, you have 20 percent of a common sense middle class that's just, you know, been decimated and they're going against 80% who has all the power, influence and money. They have the sheep and they have the big corporations. Mm. And I'm talking not just about big corporations, but I'm talking about multinational corporations that are being um, driven by BlackRock and Vanguard and Apple and those companies with 16, 17 trillion dollars in assets are being manipulated and controlled by um, carrots being held by China. The 1.5 million population that they have there, 1.5 billion population they have there, the 1.5 billion in India are appealing to them. So they answer to a globalist uh, landlord, you know, overlord, I should say. They, They appeal to that. So it's the overlords that are actually controlling the media because they're the ones buying the big expensive ads that are keeping companies like CNN and MSNBC afloat. Scott, how many people do you think realize what's going on and that they are paying? Not many. I study this stuff and I study it all the time, every day. And I, I have gr- great friends. I, I could sit, go to a bar and have a beer with a buddy of mine. He's a liberal. And um, he doesn't get half of what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and he doesn't care. And he'll, he voted for Biden, and he'll do it again. They're and not it just being doesn't told. matter how much you pound over the head or give him these truths. You know, if I was to ask a doctor about my health, and I didn't know anything about the situation, and they gave me some advice, I would probably listen to them and heed their warnings. And I study this stuff just like you, you do. You're, we're in the political media. We study this stuff. And we're not trying to, to deceive people. We're trying to tell people the truth. We're cra- cra- uh, doing the battle cry right now, ringing the bell. And yet, no matter how much you try to sway them or tell them the truth, they're not listening. They're too invested in what they're getting as a result of their vote, the people that they're supporting. Although the, the sad fact is that it's, it's going to destroy them. This This whole thing is going to come crashing down if we don't turn this around. Scott, you made excellent points and devastating points about the election integrity. Every single thing they've done has is unnecessary 
And it is easy then to have fraud and cheating going on. I, I can't imagine how anyone with with a, a thoughtful mind would listen to the things that you shared just a few minutes ago and not come to the conclusion that this is bad, this is harmful to the elections, we need to change this. And yet, we have had judge after judge, uh, outlet after outlet, news source after news source, they they do not, even sometimes people that we think are more on our side of things, on the political spectrum, and they're just not, they don't seem to have the fire in them to stop this and to turn things around. Why do you think that is? And maybe that's just more of what we've talked about earlier. But when you have the people who have the levers of power, who are the ones who should be stopping this and saying this is wrong and this is hurting our country and and making the, the vote useless, and making more and more people think this is just a waste of time. If the people who are supposed to stop that aren't going to do it, what do we do? Yeah, well, there's a good movie I would recommend to people. It's pretty old. It's Eddie Murphy movie called Distinguished Gentleman. And he's a con man and uh, from Florida. And he ends up, you know, finagling his way to be running for Congress and he wins. Hmm. And, you know, this con artist was like, man, oh, man, a Shevitz. Now, this is like the biggest con I've ever played. And it's perfectly legal here in Washington. You know, I think that, you know, I think about the Mr. Smith goes to Washington and mm -hmm. I live in Washington now. And Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, all, uh, you know, wet behind the ears, doe eyed and bushy tailed and gets there. And thinks that they're going to change the world or do right and be Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And then they're told uh, that they could set up a foundation and uh, they could fly all over the place, private jets. And all this money comes flowing in, whether they go pro or they go con. And it gets I think I think people are bought here and there's a price. Every, everybody has a certain price. And I think that in the case of, say, Mitch McConnell, you know, his wife's shipping companies at stake. So he, he does things to cater to that. I think that um, there's just so many people that end up with conflicts of interests and they engage in power blocks and agreements. You take the squad, for example, in the House of Representatives. We're poor Nancy Pelosi. Now, you'll never really get to hear me say that more than once, but... <laughs> Yeah, because she's richer than Midas, actually. How did she get to be so rich? Um, but here's the thing. Nancy Pelosi had like an, uh, uh, an advantage in the House of like, what, six or seven votes. So what did the squad do? The squad, they put together an alliance, much like the Freedom Caucus on the right, but mm. different. And they put together their own little block. Vote, it's a voter block. And that empowered them to make a difference to Nancy Pelosi. So that when Nancy Pelosi came to a, put a bill on the, the floor, it was the squad that she had to answer to because they were a voter block. Where we go, one, we go all. And so each one of them either got pork for their state or their district. And you could say, well, that's a pretty good thing. But it's coming out of the middle class taxpayers who are farming down, out in the middle of Nebraska. It's coming out of their pocket to help see these people in Queens or wherever they're coming from. And so the point is, is that the politics in Washington needs to needs to be changed. We need to get the outside corporate influences out of the pockets of politicians. That's first and foremost. And you wouldn't have this Sam Bankman-Fried FTX laundering scheme out of the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. 
You know, the sad news about Ukraine is that they exploited the heck out of the Ukraine. They laundered for decades in the Ukraine. And then they said every world leader that was under Klaus Schwab's front thumb at the World Economic Forum, Justin Trudeau, um, Ruta from Netherlands, uh, Joe Biden, right? Build Back Better, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak now, wasn't even elected to the UK. Biggest central bank digital currency guy you could ever shake a stick at. He was also hugely invested like Bill Gates in vaccines. So they're pushing all of these agendas and they're also pushing donations to Ukraine. So when people then deep into the pocket and they donate to Ukraine, that money also went to FTX because FTX and the Ukrainian National Bank, and this is according to Coindesk, very legit uh, cryptocurrency or um, uh, outlet, news outlet, uh, with five, uh, six million Twitter followers. Yeah, they're totally legit. And they come out and they say, you, in, in uh, May, or April, May or June of 2022, uh, that uh, FTX and Ukrainian National Bank formed an alliance. And cryptocurrency is one of the ways that people donate. So all these millions, if not billions of dollars that went into Ukraine to save the people of Ukraine literally went to Sam Bankman-Fried's pocket. And that went out and he became the second biggest donor to short George Soros, who had been doing the same thing for a decade or more and became the biggest donor to Democrat candidates in the United States and around the world. They were all getting a cut of it. It's why Klaus Schwab bragged about the idea that he has penetrated half the cabinets in the world. And it's this World Economic Forum that's financed by the biggest organizations in the world, Vanguard, BlackRock, Apple, you name it, and now endorsed by Ukraine. It's it's a huge, huge um, conflict of interest. And it's these unaffected, unelected, I mean, I should say unelected officials that are driving domestic policy in each and every country that they touch. So we just had puppets being elected, Scott, people right. who absolutely, just, you know, and even the easy. ones with the best intentions become corrupt in Washington, D.C., sadly. It reminds me of the importance of beliefs. I was thinking about this as we're talking we believe there is a God who we answer to. We believe that he has revealed himself in the scriptures. We talk about this all the time. And we will follow him no matter what. We need people with integrity who are going to Washington. And where does that integrity come from? It seems to me that the biggest problem in America is that the, our faith in the Lord uh, has been diminished over the years during our lifetimes. We've watched this horrendous slide going on. And rather than revering him and respecting him and understanding that he is the judge of all the world, we need to do right before him and do what he says. That That's, that's long gone in many people's minds. And so then they become ripe for corruption. But why not take the money, right? Who Who cares? If I hurt somebody, this is where this takes people, and the left takes people to horrible places. But the, another person is utilitarian to me. If you serve my needs, then fine. If not, I don't care what happens to you. It's horrible. 
what they are. And they, and they understand the left understands what you just said. And that's why they're chipping away at Judeo-Christian values yes. in our schools uh, with cr critical race theory or cisgender or, or trans storytelling. These things, uh, this emasculation of men, you know, this this segregation. Yes. Democrats were the grand poobahs of segregation. George Wallace, a Democrat governor of Alabama, stood in the doorway to, to block integration. It was Jefferson Davis. You know, the Republican Party was founded on on abolishing slavery. So, you know, um, the people that wrote the Jim Crow laws, Wikipedia, just Wikipedia, Jim Crow laws. Guess what happens? Um, it was state and local officials, Democrats, that were writing those policies and guidelines, much like the COVID mandate guidelines. Corporate corporations endorsed them to keep business and whatever else was going on. That's why you got the green book. But uh, the thing is, is that um, they they look at a ten year old not as a child. They look at a ten year old who's going to be voting in two yep. election cycles. You see. Yep. That's not the no. way you look at a child. No, it's no. not the way I look at a child. That's the way these Democrats are looking at children. And they're using trans people and crazy nut jobs. I mean, these people are really mentally ill. Mm -hmm. When you see half of what they're talking about, yep. how are these teachers entering our public school systems? I'd love these, to know the answer to that. You know, and, them. So, so, you know, these, but it's the teachers unions. It's the, um, you know, who's that, who's the uh, woman that's the head of the, Teachers union that's set such a nut job. Uh, she was Wayne Gardner, whatever that you know who I'm talking about. The the, the big mouth uh, in the, uh, the Wayne Gardner right. election. Yeah, Wayne Gardner, but SEIU, um, the teachers unions, they spend tens of millions of dollars on political candidates, and it comes right back to them once those candidates get elected, and they're also boots on the ground. Half of them are ballot harvesters. They're actually like being paid to process these ballots. And they're they're in and a lot of these schools are being set up as precincts, you know, which is true. So a lot of these things are happening where, uh, the, you know, the, the, we, we learned that the teachers unions were influencing CDC with the covid lockdowns and guidelines. You know, we, we remember we've seen documents about that. So. This integration, you know, and this uh, this uh, weaponizing of our IRS, whether it's Lois Lerner going after Tea Party groups or or whether it's the Department of Justice and the FBI breaking down people's doors and raiding Mar-a-Lago. Um, you know, we're seeing way too much of this. The Department of Homeland Security was defunding cities that wouldn't endorse um, sanctuary status. Uh, they're, they're opening up our borders. Um, and they're, 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 it's crippling the middle class. They know that they, if they could crush the middle class, they own that lower middle class. They own the upper middle class elites. Uh, they need to crush the voter block in the middle that's speaking for their families, believing in God and raising their children. And they're, part of it is a cultural war. Face the culture, right? So part of it is a cultural war that... Um, is here to diminish us and, and confuse us. So part of it is, you know, black is white, up is down, left is right, right? They're going to mm -hmm. keep on telling you that till you believe it. And that's part of the indoctrination. That confusion 
you almost give up. The emasculation of men, the attack on white males, for example, is no better or no worse than any other kind of discrimination. It's why every commercial you turn on, every Netflix series you watch, there's always a trans, a cisgender, a homosexual Mm -hmm. uh, family, uh, whatever it is. But it's all part of the indoctrination. They're all in on it. It's why Valerie Jarrett is actually on the board of Netflix and Lyft and Uber and all these different uh, types of uh, social um, uh, digital companies. And uh, it is an attack on culture. And this attack on culture is going right for the children because they know they're not going to change your mind, Kim, or your mind, Steve, but they're going after the children. Mm -hmm. And that's what scares me the most. It's our future that's at stake. Scott, I, I, I hear you. I feel you. I'm in agreement with you. One good thing we can see come out of 22 is that the homeschooling movement continues to explode, not just along the among the religious folk, but secular people are pulling their kids out of these schools. And there are people who are, you know, in Central Bucks, uh, Pennsylvania, a bunch of, uh, uh, of parents uh, now run the school board. They won their elections. They threw out the uh, these these types of people, these um, plants who were there to to uh, put in a, a secularist, uh, humanistic, um, uh, you know, uh, government. And they, but they are the biggest opposition they get is from the teachers union. The community loves them. They don't agree with them on everything, but they communicate with them. They let them know what's going on. But the uh, the school board, of course, they have their agenda. So um, the one the, the one downside to homeschooling is, you know, student athlete sports, things like that, right? But the other is, is if you quit on public schools and not fight back, then what you're in essence doing is paying taxes into the school system, while not getting any of the school system services. Well, once you like to because see once you God, pull yourself out, once you pull yourself out, you're basically find funding. A liberal liberals education. So they get education for free while you have to actually stay at home and invest in your children's future by teaching them at home. And it becomes we really need school vouchers. We need that money to follow the student and all these types of conservative policies. So we need parent, them. You, yeah, keep the schools schools. Will be make them compete. Right. Just like. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Catholic schools, charter schools, you know, there's so many different options, but even homeschooling, I know it's a growing population because people are just so fed up, yeah. but rather than run away from the problem, what we have to do is we have to run for school board elections mm-hmm. and we have to figure out a way to win those school board elections at, at the grassroots level. And there's got to be new policies that say that boards are balanced in their political ideology and new rules and regulations need to be passed. Uh, freedom of expression. Yes. Uh, but this level of biasness that's going on and the, the kind of books that they're allowing children to read that are engaging in pedophilia, this, this whole pedophilia thing is also off the charts. I've never, I never, I used to hear people talk about it and I used to say that's conspiracy, whatever no, it's, it's it's real. It is, and it, it's mind blowing. You think you get over it, but you don't. 
And what? it has to be fought. It has to be fought. And this is a people's fight. Scott, I think you agree with me because we, we, we do not see the elected class on with whatever letter is after their name. They, they just don't want to get involved. So I see this as a grassroots citizens group. And when you present it accurately to people, many Dems are horrified at it. You know, they're like, what? But when you show them the evidence, um, there's a woman uh, who brought pictures, her son took pictures of a book in his library. I can't even put them on the website. They're that bad. Yeah, I've seen these videos of people reading excerpts from books at, you know, at these board meetings. And, you know, you can I can't even play the audio of what they're reading on my show. It's too graphic and too extreme. And they're literally exposing that to our children. It's unbelievable. Well, look, uh, with a little time, we never have enough time, uh, but we do want to look forward to uh, 2023, Scott and Steve. And (laughs) I came across an interesting headline and it's called, uh, who will start the first war in 2023? (laughs) You're like, oh, that's really uplifting and encouraging. But this is the four possibilities they put forth. Scott, of course, I would love to hear your commentary. They ask, will it be Serbia? Will it be North Korea? Will it be China? Or will it be Iran? And then they have some interesting footnotes on uh, Ukraine about things getting interesting there. Scott, you want to weigh in? Okay, so the question is, who will start the first war? Um, Serbia? Yeah, Yeah, China, Taiwan, Uh, uh, or or Iran? Iran? Or Ukraine, or China. Yep. Okay. I don't know. Prophetic gifts. I actually think that um, I think that the Chinese, Taiwan, Ukraine, Russia thing are very uh, related, and um, they're related on multiple levels. One is the exploitation of Joe Biden and the Biden crime family, because. You know, Hunter Biden has done business with all those entities. (laughs) You know, I mean, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, and and I would love to tell you what bothers me the most about the Biden crime family, which is do I how much time do we have? Go for it. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that people don't really realize, this was brought to my attention by Byron Douglas, a Florida congressman and another congressman, too. Um, I forget his name. And they were in the oversight committee and they were talking about, um, you know, Joe Biden's, uh, the Biden uh, crime family having this company called Bohide Harvest or, and then they had another one called BHR, Biden, Hunter, Robert. And they received billions of dollars to invest in a, uh, in a mining company in Arizona called Freeport McMorrin, and I'm saying the name so that our audience can look them up. So Freeport McMorrin is a mining company that got the rights to mine in the Congo, and they're mining for cobalt in the Congo. They got more money to invest in a Chinese company called Emperex, Emperex. And what do they do? They make batteries. So not only do the Bidens have controlling interests in using Chinese-based money to mine for the cobalt, which is slave labor, and it's gross. Um, but then 
on the on the back side of that, they got the company that's actually making the batteries using that cobalt and nickel and all those precious metals. So when you st- see the Bidens pushing subsidizing electric vehicles and pricing petroleum gas out of uh, out of the uh, market and uh, and pushing for a global climate change initiative this directly benefits their bottom line so they're going to you know if if it was a free market nobody would really be interested in their cobalt or their batteries because people would still be buying gas powered combustible engines right. um but they're not doing that and so that brings me to the next point that I think that China knows that they have the Biden crime family under their thumb. And so does Russia over Ukraine. That's why Russia took over Crimea on, on the Obama years. And now they're taking over the eastern flank, the Donbass region of Ukraine. So there's those two. I think Serbia, you know, Serbia, we had a really great chance during the um, Abraham Accord. Uh, because Serbia and Kosovo were even starting to make up and make nice and normalize relations with Israel because that's a Muslim-Jewish uh, conflict there too as well. And so then you have Iran. Um, Iran was broke. Now they're empowered, and they're desperate to sell their oil, and they're going to be doing that. Um, and interestingly enough, Afghanistan, the Taliban, has banned women the right to go to and get an education now. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Joe Biden. So a lot of these things are back to where we were, which helps who? Who does this help? This helps the military industrial complex. And to listen to Oliver North today on CNBC or no, maybe it was Fox News talking about uh, how this is a great job creator by selling our bullets using other uh, Ukrainian soldiers is missing the point entirely and trying to tie it into saying this is what Reagan did with the Iran Contras was insanely ridiculous that he made those statements. It shows how out of touch the people that we used to consider to be our conservative leaders have really become or always have been. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So no, to answer your question though, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, taster's choice there. I mean, it, it's a, it's a tinderbox no matter how you slice it. I've heard different stories about China and Taiwan in that conflict. I think that if I was China, um, I hear that uh, China, China and Russia are doing uh, naval exercises together mm-hmm. now, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a lot of um, th- reasons to think that maybe it's going to be a little bit of a combination. Um, you, you help me, I help you with regard to Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan. Meanwhile, the destruction of America goes on. All of the policies and all the pushing, everything we've been talking about serves to yeah. weaken us more and, and more and, and more. And it also causes inflation because when we give $110 billion like we just did to Ukraine, that money finds its way into the pockets of the military industrial complex, oligarchs, and all kinds of different markets, which is basically creating, uh, devaluing the, the money and creating a demand or pressure on the supply chain without any new workers producing. So what that does is when you throw cash into the markets without throwing workers into the supply chain, 
you get inflation because it increases demand. So no matter how much Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve try to raise the interest rates to counter the spending in Washington, it's never going to be enough so long as Joe Biden keeps spending middle-class taxpayer dollars for these senseless wars to enrich his cronies in the military-industrial complex. As we think about solutions for these things, Scott, I'm reminded of what you shared earlier. Well, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Uh, the people running for elections, running for school board, doing these things, they want us to think we can't do anything. And actually, we have a great many things that we can do. We can stand up and speak out the truth like we're doing here, like, like Red State Talk Radio does every day. We can run for office. We can stand and challenge the people who are saying all and doing all this ridiculous stuff. Where's the loud outcry? Well, if there isn't one going on, folks, we have to do it. We have to do it. And those who are listening to this program, you have to do it. Let's band together. I think that's one of the things, Scott, your thoughts on this. The left bands together really well. They, they circle the wagons and they, they know how to advance their agenda. Those on the conservative side tend to not do that. I think it's part of the nature of being independent and free and pursue your dreams, all those things. But we need to work, I think, better together to stand against this enemy. But we can make a difference. And, you know, we're not leaving God out of the equation. He's central to all of it. And we have story after story in the Bible of how the most unexpected things that could ever happen, happen, because he enables people. Our own nation is founded that way. Your, your thoughts? I agree. And that's why we need to fight that cultural war that you are fighting, even with your name, Face the Culture, right? That's mm -hmm. the name of the show, right? Yep. And yeah, there you go. I mean, basically, you nailed it. And I thought, you know, Alex Jones, Infowars. I hear Infowars. Infowars, it's a war of information, but it's also a culture war. I've, I think that that is truly what is going on in the world right now. Yes. It's a tug of war, culture war uh, between globalists and, you know, basically people who are more like nationalist populists that want their own identity. They want... Uh, their own um, country. You know, I would love to get back to where the church is the center of the community. Amen. And yeah. we have these 4-H clubs and town hall meetings at our local precincts, student council meetings, parent-teacher meetings, where we really get together as a community. It starts with the local. The Bible back in school, prayer back in school. Why would we think we can't do that? See, this is another thing. Uh, you hear people say, oh, that can never happen. The naysayers, uh, that, that time is gone. Folks, America should have never fa been founded. It, it should have been defeated by the greatest, most powerful nation on earth. The Christian faith, a humble band of men following the Savior, and then they go out and turn the world upside down. Don't be believe the lies that the bullies are telling us, that there's nothing you well, can do. And multiculturalism needs to evolve over time. It, it's not something that you can actually inc uh, create in a laboratory like a Frankenstein. Hmm. It has to be evolutionary. It has to be organic. But opening the borders and flooding the no, gates no, with no. a bunch of people that are just going to take uh, your resources. It's Nobody's ever done that with their homes. I just saw a very liberal uh, celebrity, Valerie Bertinelli, uh, who 
has uh, decided to put barbed wire up above her fence around her house. <laughs> and it's like, okay, great for you, but not so great for the people in El Paso. Look at the original multiculturalist. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. He didn't say, well, you can't go to this country and don't talk to that group. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) They went out all over. And from America, missionaries went out throughout the world. And it was interesting because I heard um, an academian, a a faith-based one, a Christian guy, uh, who wrote a book about how Christian faith affected the cultures that they went into and guess what guys it was positive each and every time Mm -hmm. standards of living went up the way women were treated went up it was improvement it was a good thing unlike when we we have these conversations all the time yet we have historians come on and scott you talk about it show us a successful uh example of marxism throughout history you can't it has a hundred percent fail record that's right. That's right. absolutely right. And, you know, we, we, the reason why we go to church on Sundays is we, as adults even, who, you know, know a lot, but we still need to be reminded of our core values. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a very soothing, very good uh, time to spend, you know, when you can actually realize, okay, there is a higher power, there is hope at the end of the day. At the end of the year, I mean, that's really where we need to rest our uh, thoughts is, is with our Christian values and realize that there is a bigger power. Uh, there is a uh, method to the madness uh, and to the chaos and that, uh, that there's hope for our future. And I think that there are a lot of people that struggle during times like this because they're financially under pressure. Um, and uh, they've been through a lot with the COVID lockdowns. Uh, they're looking for uh, meaningful employment uh, and they struggle. It's a tough world that we live in. It's very competitive. Well, and I, I think turning God to God is, is really one of the key solutions to finding Amen. happiness. Amen. Yeah. Folks, uh, we're, we're out of time. Believe it or not, we've come to the end of our hour. Scott Adams, thank you so much for coming on Face the Culture today. It's been an excellent time together. And real quick, Scott, remind people what time they can hear you Monday through Friday. All right. Scott Adams Show, 8 a.m. live, redstatetalkradio.com. My podcasts can be had over at scottadamsshow.com. Excellent. Thank you again, Scott, for coming on today on Face the Culture. Folks, thank you for listening to the program. We trust it's been a blessing to you and a challenge. 2022, it's almost done if you're listening to the premiere of this episode. Happy New Year to everybody. God bless you as we begin this new year together. May he do wonderful and great things in all of our lives. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time on Face the Culture.